Welcome to the FDD Events Podcast. I'm Cliff Mate, founder and president of FDD. I'm pleased to share with you the following conversation. Please subscribe, rate, and review the podcast so you don't miss out on future FDD events. Good morning. It's Wednesday, January 3rd. Israel has been at war for 89 days. I'm Rich Goldberg, senior advisor at the Foundation for Defense of Democracies, filling in for John Shanzer. Welcome to the first FDD Morning Brief of 2024. This morning, I'll be joined by Colonel Richard Kemp, a former British Army counterterrorism expert who led UK forces in Afghanistan, was head of international terrorism for the UK government's Joint Intelligence Committee. He's been on the ground in Israel and Gaza. We'll get uh, some firsthand perspectives uh, from him in just a moment. But before we get to Colonel Kemp, let's take a quick look at our headlines. Israel yesterday took out Hamas's number three in command, Sali al-Ori, uh, along with other senior Hamas leaders uh, in a targeted strike in Beirut, Lebanon. I uh, kind of feel bad for John Shanzer. He isn't here for this one to tell you about it. Uh, Shanzer has been obsessively tracking uh, Ruri's moves for more than a decade uh, throughout the Middle East. Uh, but here's what you need to know. Ruri was one of the masterminds of October 7th. Before that, uh, he was already wanted by the United States in connection with the kidnapping and murder of three Israeli teens, including one dual American citizen back in 2014. That incident sparked a major conflict the same year. This week's strike raises a number of issues. Uh, Al-Aruri was seen recently in Turkey and Qatar, was operating freely in Beirut, the nerve center where Iran coordinates Hezbollah, Hamas, and Islamic Jihad. Lebanon's military, of course, has received hundreds of millions of dollars in US taxpayer assistance over the last decade, with more money still on the way. Turkey is a NATO ally, and Qatar, of course, is supposedly a major non-NATO ally, all while giving Hamas support and safe harbor. Second, Israel has sent a message in the strike to all the terror allies of Iran that no matter where they hide, they will never be secure. Whether Hamas leaders reside in Qatar, Turkey, Lebanon, or another country, they should assume their days are numbered. Uh, Hezbollah's leadership also needs to factor this strike into the escalation curve that they're contemplating uh, in the coming days. That leads me to point three. Hezbollah leader Hassan Nasrallah has previously vowed a harsh response if the Israelis conducted any strike like this inside Lebanon. Will one be forthcoming? Israel has already been signaling its intent to drive Hezbollah away from its northern border by military force in the coming weeks. Will Nasrallah expedite that timeline by escalating sooner rather than later? We'll be keeping a very close eye on what he says and does next. Now, moving on quickly to three other big stories driving the day. Headline one, Israel announces a transition to a third phase in its Gaza ground operations. Here's the deal. The IDF says it's pulling five brigades out of Gaza as it transitions to a lower intensity, longer term campaign in southern and central Gaza. The announcement comes as the U.S. has been putting not so quiet pressure on Israel to temper down operations while domestic economic pressure in Israel has been building to return reservists to the workforce. Uh, what do I make of it? Well, the IDF doesn't actually appear to be shifting strategy. If anything, its operations in the South are intensifying. Seven brigades are reportedly now fighting in Khan Yunus alone. The IDF describes its presence in central and southern Gaza as maximalist. Airstrikes have increased in recent days. Gains in the North are allowing the IDF to bring some forces home. And both Washington and Jerusalem can spin that whatever way they want. 
but a campaign to root out Hamas infrastructure and leadership doesn't appear to be wrapping up anytime soon. And that's critical if the objective remains the dismantlement of Hamas in Gaza. Headline two, a Malta flag container ship off Yemen reported three explosions. This is yesterday's headline. U.S. Navy helicopters had already sunk three Houthi small boats in the Red Sea over the weekend after taking fire during response to a ship in distress there. But that hasn't done much to address the core threat posed by Iran's Houthis in Yemen, namely its missile and drone attacks. With giant uh, shipping firms like Maersk announcing one day they're off, one day they're on, now they're back in a temporary pause in the Red Sea. Yet another attack yesterday on a commercial vessel. Pressure continues to build on the White House to respond more forcefully. My view, the container ship targeted yesterday was not Israel affiliated. Heck, what does Malta have to do with this? We need to stop describing these events as Houthi attacks on Israel. They are Iran-directed attacks on freedom of navigation and global shipping. And the Chinese Communist Party is watching all of this closely. Xi Jinping sees the United States refusing to defend freedom of navigation in a major strategic waterway against an adversary far weaker than Beijing. That's not a good look. The status quo is unsustainable. And finally, headline three, Israel dismisses the latest hostage offer from Hamas. Here's what we know. Egypt has been plugging away at brokering a permanent ceasefire with a hostage deal attached as its first phase. Hamas has rejected that proposal originally, but now offering a different proposal to release tranches of hostages in exchange for one month ceasefires. Israel hasn't officially rejected that broader Egyptian ceasefire proposal, but has closed the door on what Hamas is offering. Still, shuttle diplomacy continuing with Israeli officials flying to Cairo for talks. But here's the thing. The details of this Egyptian proposal don't make much sense to me. For starters, it calls for Hamas to survive the war, unify with the Palestinian Authority in support of some sort of technocratic government in Gaza. It calls for the removal of Israel's security presence in Gaza, and it doesn't seem to rule out Hamas somehow coming back to power via elections in the future. We've all seen this movie before. It started in 2006. It doesn't end well. In this month's issue of Commentary Magazine, I lay out five key parameters to prevent total policy failure for what we call the day after the war in Gaza. On its face, at least, the Egyptian proposal violates nearly every key principle as it embraces Hamas, embraces the Palestinian Authority without reform, and prematurely re removes Israeli security control in Gaza. It seems like there's a long way to go here towards a deal that's worth Israel accepting. Okay, those are your headlines. I am now pleased to welcome Colonel Richard Kemp, appointed member of the Order of the British Empire by Queen Elizabeth, a former British Army officer and leading expert on terrorism. Colonel Kemp is joining us from Israel. Colonel, good morning or good afternoon, good evening where you are. Uh, thank you so much for being with us. It's my pleasure. Um, it's always a pleasure to do anything with FDD. You su do such fantastic work. Thank you, you as well. Colonel, you've been on the ground. Uh, we've seen your, your social media posts uh, in Gaza in recent days. Uh, we're hearing about this uh, so-called transition to a third phase of operations. What are you seeing? What are you hearing? Yeah, well, I think, uh, as you, you alluded to uh, in your uh, co comments just now, uh, the IDF is attacking furiously inside central and 
southern Gaza in particular, they're still fighting in the north where there are still remnants of Hamas there, but they pretty much cleaned up the north to a large extent. And now the focus is on the south and the center. Uh, so I think we're going to see a continuation of that. Whether there's a change in emphasis, um, if intelligence allows more focused strikes, as has been suggested, then I suspect the IDF will take advantage of that. But certainly talking to soldiers on the ground inside Gaza and commanders inside Gaza, their, their orders are to destroy Hamas. They will continue to do that. And I think, you know, no matter what, uh, in my view, almost outrageous proposals uh, Egypt might put forward, that's something that has to be done and, and I believe will be done. It might take a bit of time, but, uh, but it's going to happen eventually. Yesterday, we saw that strike I referenced at the top on Al-Aruri in Beirut. The temperature on Israel's northern border has been steadily climbing pretty much every day since October 7th. How likely is it that we see Israeli military action against Hezbollah in the north in the coming weeks based on who you're talking to, what you're seeing on the ground? Yeah, I've been up in the north on the Gaza, on the Lebanon border, I beg your pardon, a few times since I've been here. Um, and, and as you rightly say, the the intensity of attack from Hezbollah and Hamas against Israeli forces and civilians in the north, the north of Israel has been steadily increasing. And I think, you know, pretty much the level of attacks we've seen so far would, in other circumstances, have prompted a major Israeli operation into Lebanon by now. Uh, I, I think we're going to see that. Obviously, there are diplomatic efforts to try and push Hezbollah north, north of the Litani River. Uh, I, my guess is that's not going to succeed. It would be seen, I think, by Iran as a major defeat as they're, they're witnessing the, the uh, taking apart of their other big proxy in this area, Hamas and Islamic Jihad, of course. I, I think it's unlikely they're going to accept uh, what would amount to a further defeat and humiliation of Lebanon, of Hezbollah moving uh, north voluntarily, no matter what financial incentives or other incentives are offered uh, by the French and the Americans. Um, so I think, I think the likelihood is it's, got, it's going to be dealt with by a military strike, or a serious military campaign in southern Lebanon. I think that has to happen. I would guess that uh, unless Hezbollah launches a preemptive operation of its own, in other words, a much greater intensification from Lebanon into northern Israel in the intervening period, I would guess that the IDF will plan to launch an attack, a major campaign into southern Lebanon once they feel that they're balanced in Gaza. Obviously, they could do both at the same time. They prepared and trained and planned to do both. But I, I, I would suggest the optimum situation is once the situation stabilized in Gaza, which perhaps will be in maybe a few weeks time. Obviously, the fighting in Gaza is going to continue after that. But it may be the point when the pivot is made towards uh, South Lebanon. And we've, you know, we're seeing uh, IDF units, particularly reservist units being stood down, taken out of the battle at the moment, both in the north and in the south. And that will be, I'm sure, with a view to giving them rest and allowing them to prepare for a change of operation towards the north. There was a report in the Sunday Times uh, that the UK might join the US in some sort of military retaliation against the Houthis in Yemen for those ongoing attacks in the Red Sea. Do you think that's likely? I think it's desirable. I think it's overdue. We've seen far too much provocation 
provocation from Iran against international shipping in the Red Sea via their Houthi proxies and indeed sometimes directly themselves. Uh, and and it's, it's not going to be contained. It's not going to be deterred or prevented by defensive type operations that we've seen so far. Uh, OK, there's a lot of warships in the Red Sea able to do a certain amount to protect the shipping. But we've seen that that, that has not given confidence to a great deal of international trade to continue using that very important sea route. What needs to happen is a severe attack against the Houthis inside Yemen, against their military capabilities, particularly their shore batteries, their radar systems, their command systems. That needs to be attacked very, very, in my opinion, very, very soon. Uh, and, and not only is it a, 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 would that, I hope anyway, uh, show the Houthis they cannot continue what they're doing now, but also it would be a very strong message to Iran, which needs that message sent to it. Let's not forget, Iran is not only directing Houthi attacks towards Israel and into international shipping, not only are they direct, did they direct Hamas, they, they've got uh, Hezbollah under their hand as well, and of course their own militias inside Syria. So it's that that's really the should become the focal point. How do we deal with Iran. And one of the best ways, in my view, of dealing with Iran in the short term is by dealing a, a significant blow to the Houthis. Four years ago today, uh, the U.S. Uh, killed uh, the terror mastermind uh, IRGC Quds Force commander Qasem Soleimani. We're seeing a very different U.S. policy toward Iran today. You've just referenced uh, some of that. How do you assess the current policy on Iran from the United States, from the United Kingdom, other allies? What would you like to see happen beyond just uh, what you said just now uh, as far as attacking the Houthis? Well, I think one of the greatest weaknesses that have been shown by U.S. foreign policy in many years is, is the determination to appease Iran, to try and resurrect the nuclear deal with Iran that, that Obama put in place and that Trump repudiated. Uh, and and, and all, a significant effort has gone to that, even to the extent of unfreezing funds, providing Iran effectively with funds to carry out its terrorist campaigns and to continue to develop its nuclear capability, even after the 7th of October attacks. I think the time has come to end that policy and to turn on Iran. Um, and, and, and OK, there the, the might be a military option necessary at some point. But in the interim, until that time comes, there should be very, very severe sanctions imposed against Iran. And let's not forget, Iran's not just stirring up trouble in the Middle East. It's also the main or one of the certainly one of the most important arms suppliers to Ukraine, a major American ally. And, and Iran is supplying vast quantities of drones and, and other weapon systems to, uh, to Russia to attack our ally in Ukraine. So this is, this is not just a regional issue. This is a, a, a European, a global issue as well. And, and it's time, I believe, for the U.S. administration and its allies in Europe to really turn on Iran and, and, and start working to to prevent Iran from the, the horrors it's doing. And it's not it's not just threatening Israel, of course. It also threatens the entire region, including Saudi Arabia and the UAE. My last question, Colonel, uh, you're on the ground there. Uh, an area that doesn't get as much attention in the press, Judea and Samaria, also known as the West Bank. Uh, definitely getting a lot of attention by the IDF more quietly, uh, certainly uh, in Israeli headlines, not really in Western headlines as much. 
uh, a great amount of ongoing terror activity still there, a Hamas presence uh, in the West Bank. Uh, are there worries on the ground of some sort of larger escalation there in coming weeks, maybe even something at the Temple Mount at Al-Aqsa as the group inches closer to its last days in Gaza? Well, I think there's no, no question really that the Hamas elements, Iranian controlled, not, let's not forget Hamas elements in the West Bank and our friend al Aruri, who met his uh, end yesterday, he was deemed to be the military commander, I believe, of, of Hamas in, in the West Bank, as well as in Lebanon. Um, and that could have an impact on, on their actions. But I think that as, as they begin to meet their end in Gaza, and, and, and we're seeing signs even of a Hamas collapse in, in Gaza with uh, quite a lot of terrorists surrendering, many, many reports of local gardens even turning on Hamas, which is a, a big development, and reports of many Hamas fighters who are captured being extremely cooperative with the IDF, which does yield up significant and valuable intelligence. So we're seeing signs of that collapse even before they get to the point of being completely annihilated by Israel. Uh, and I think that could be reflected in the West Bank as well, probably in a combination of ways, one of which is an attempt to to show their strength, to show some strength in the West Bank by uh, by right, you know, by increasing the level of violence there, but also it might lead to their demoralization because of the, of course, the IDF has far greater control over what's happening in the West Bank than they ever had in Gaza, and do have the ability, as they've shown, to to carry out severe damage against all of the different terrorists in the West Bank. So it's not that's not a kind of very uh, clear. Um, assessment of what's going to happen. I think it could go either way. But right now, the IDF have the uh, the West Bank, albeit with a raised level of violence, it does have the West Bank under control. One other point I'll just make briefly, which concerns Israeli Arabs inside Israel proper, let's say, and, and that is the, the, the significant surge in support for Israel and association with Israel by Israeli Arabs since the 7th of October. And I think that is quite a, it's, it's an encouragement, it's one of the few pieces of encouraging news out of this uh, country at the moment. But I think that is uh, a, a quite an interesting development. And I think it does reflect to an extent, at least, the, um, the, 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 the horror of the 7th of October events shared by many Israeli Arabs and the knowledge that Hamas, when they came across the border, didn't just kill Jews, they killed quite a number of Arabs as well. Colonel Richard Kemp, we'll leave it there. Thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. Okay, well, these are just a few other FDD stories we're following before I sign off. My colleagues Andrea Stricker and Anthony Ruggiero are tracking the latest International Atomic Energy Agency report on Iran's nuclear program that indicates Iran has tripled its production of highly enriched uranium. My colleagues Bill Raggio and Caleb Weiss are digging into the recent arrest by the Justice Department of an American citizen and New Jersey resident who traveled to Kenya to join Shabaab, Al-Qaeda's branch in East Africa in the wake of the October 7th massacre. Al-Qaeda is attempting to use the war in Gaza to recruit and mobilize individuals to commit acts of terror for Al-Qaeda's wider jihad. FDD's long war journal is continuing to be your best news for all things in that space. And finally, FDD's Seth Fransman recently embedded with Israel's new multi-dimensional quote-unquote ghost unit that is using the latest technology to fight terrorists in Gaza. He wrote up his observations from that embed 
for the Jerusalem Post magazines. We hope you had a great holiday break. FDD Morning Brief is here to help keep your head on straight every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Join me again this Friday, January 5th, for our next show. I'll be joined by my colleague, Anthony Ruggiero, who has decades of experience in the U.S. government, including most recently as NSC Senior Director for Counterproliferation and Biodefense. In the meantime, stay up to date with FDD's analysis at FDD.org and on X at FDD. If you want to contribute to support FDD's work, FDD.org slash invest. Thanks for joining us today. Happy New Year. I'm Rich Goldberg, signing off for FDD. Thank you.